0: Making artwork uh, shows the issues that people don't always see locally. I mean, global warming is a global issue. Climate change is a global issue, you know. And highlighting these issues through my work makes it accessible for everyone to see. You know, I I think it's all too easy to not think about the consequences of each of our daily activities when we're not confronted with the results visually. As I say, it just helps raise awareness and hopefully will make people think more about their actions and hopefully bring about change for the better.
1: Welcome to Insights of an Eco Artist. My name is Joanna Lerko. I'm an eco artist and arts writer. In every episode, I bring worldwide artists that embody the fight to create a more sustainable world. Hey everyone, thank you so much for, for being here today with me, again. <laughs> today we have a bit of a more technical podcast. It's about glass arts and the techniques that are involved with this practice and how stability can play a big role in glass creation and glass sculpture. So today we have UK based artist Daniel Rolito and he creates kiln based sculptures using traditional and digital techniques. It was a very interesting conversation. I haven't met that many glass artists and I was really curious about techniques that are involved with glass sculptures. So I'm sure you're gonna also enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So stick around. On a related note, we have updates on our Patreon page. You can make a sustainable donation at Patreon slash Insights of an Echo Artist. We have different tiers that you can look at and support us if you wish so. And I don't know if you have been following us on Instagram, but second volume of the magazine is coming very soon. We will open the pre-order this week so you can order the magazine before time. And yeah, now let's dive in. So thank you, Daniel, for being here. Can you just begin by walking us through your artistic philosophy and your practice?
0: Yeah, basically, I'm a glass and ceramic artist, uh, and I specialize in creating one-off kiln-formed sculptural artworks. Uh, traditional and modern digital techniques are often combined to create work based on my observations of the natural world and social issues. I exploit glass's unique material properties, including its transmittance of light, optics and reflections often incorporating depth and multiple perspectives into my work.
1: So, how did you learn to do
0: glasswork? Basically, I was I was made redundant uh, from the civil service in 2013. Uh, so, I took a few courses at our local uh, heritage skills centre at Lincoln Castle, uh, where I learned to do uh, stained glass window construction using lead and copper foil. Uh, and I also took an introductory uh, course in glass fusing at the National Centre of Craft and Design and from there I could see the potential of uh, glass fusing but I, I wanted to learn more techniques so I decided to study at University. So in the end I opted to uh, study at the National, National Glass Centre as part of the University of Sunderland and I only really started to specialise in um, casting uh, towards the end of my second year since it wasn't one of the subjects that was really taught. So basically I was relying on uh, one of the technicians there who was quite an expert in glass casting, as well as um, the very few limited books that we had available to us. Uh, And uh, basically myself and other people who wanted to learn, basically learned through trial and error and also picking up on what each other had done sort of thing. Also whilst I was at uni, I did a bit of uh, computer-aided design uh, and uh, 3D printing technologies, which I've also managed to uh, use in my work, and they've helped to expand my practice.
1: So you went to a university, so the course was only glass sculpture?
0: Uh, it was glass and ceramics, and I, I mainly specialized in glass, but you do use, because I enjoy uh, modeling with my hands and, and things like that, I, I did use uh, clay to make some original models and then essentially make remake them in glass.
1: You have a community near you that, or which glass artists, or is something very solo?
0: Pretty much solo, I would say. There's, there's people who do glass fusing and doing um, things like making coasters and things like that. You know, there's quite a few people doing that in the UK now. But I would say, as an actual artist who creates specialized work to communicate issues uh, such as climate change, uh, there's not that many of us, I would say. There is a um, contemporary glass society to which I'm a member, so I do. I have started taking part oh, in more more of their sort of like little projects on the side, and I also do enter competitions to try and get in like a uh, British Glass Biennale, and, and that. so uh So yeah, there's a few options, but uh, also I've been trying to push into the fine art market a little bit more to really get. Glass accepted not just as a craft but as an art, especially since, as I say, I use it to communicate.
1: So, do you feel that glasswork is still seen as a craft and not as a fine art piece?
0: Yeah, definitely. um I mean, a lot of people find the need to create vessels and such like. So, if someone wanted to use a bowl as a bowl, you know, they could do. So, yeah, you, you certainly get a lot of that still getting into exhibitions and that, uh, whereas. As I say, because I don't work in one visual style that's the same on every piece, you know, that's certainly something that I'm doing differently. And I don't really see it as being wrong because I can see the links within my work. And that way, because I get to vary my technique, I I, I don't get bored from it, so to speak.
1: And I imagine that you create your own visual style that relates to you so do you choose so in terms that you're saying that every artwork is different in terms of visual composition you want them to be different or is it comes naturally
0: i would say it comes naturally but yeah certain things like I, i didn't excel at hot glass at university it was too um too quick sort of thing i have a nice even though i do have to work quickly in casting sometimes it's a very depth process that i can follow uh, so it's a lot of planning and that sort of thing, and that suits me fine. But I, I would say I, I, I go towards more fusing and other kiln casting techniques rather than hot glass. But that's not to say that if I had an idea for something that would be easier to make or or better to make it in hot glass, that I wouldn't necessarily then work with other artists who were able to take under my direction to produce uh, works
1: do you feel that if you have some technique, because glasswork is very technical, uh, yep. as you explained it to me, <laughs> so do you feel that you can approach other artists that have uh, imagine a technique that you don't and they are open to explain it to you or is it a very closed field?
0: It's a very closed field. I, I do find uh, because ceramics has been around for a lot longer, their community is a lot more open. You know, there's things that have been done again and again. Uh, glass, although... I would say we largely know the limits of it. There are some people do, who do push techniques and therefore get into exhibitions as a result of those things. So it's understandable that they wouldn't want to share techniques. Yeah. But I, I would say as far as hot glass is concerned, they are very much there to produce work for other people a lot of the time. Normally production ware, which isn't my sort of thing, but um, there are people who you do have, there's two or three studios uh, which will work with other artists to produce work. So those options are available at least.
1: You are not only a glass sculptor, but you are also a nature photographer and you have been awarded for that field. So can you talk to us a bit about this avenue of your practice and how it correlates with your sculpture work?
0: Yeah, I mean, nature photography is something that's been a passion of mine for several years now. I started doing it whilst I was at work. Um and I went around gardens at weekends and things like that and developed a real love for nature and being outside. Uh, so therefore, I think that that's helped inform my decision to make sculptures as a means of communication about topics such as climate change. I also use photographs to serve as a record of my experiences. So I'll mainly take uh, plant portrait shots and wildlife shots, uh, including spalling insects taken at ma- taken at macro level because I find all the intricate patterns and features of the insects fascinating. And I also use my photos to record the species on international databases uh, such as iNaturalist, because that shows trends in movement amongst different insects and other wildlife species, especially as the climate changes. So you can literally see the changes happening on that site as I have in, in recent years, so yeah.
1: Uh, So would you say that where you live, you can feel the impacts of climate change or it's just something you start working climate change because it's something that you connect with it?
0: Yeah, I I definitely connect with it. You know, I, I have strong feelings about it.
1: So you would say that sustainability is a very important aspect of your overall practice. So how do you implement it? It can be in photography or glass work, ceramic work, your studio time. How do you implement sustainability and why do you implement it in your practice?
0: Uh, I reclaim my materials, such as clay, uh, by recycling any uh, waste scraps. Uh, And I remix it so it can be reused. I also use uh, wax because I can model from it directly, and then steam it out of moulds and reuse it. I occasionally use something called vinyl Mould, uh, which is similar to silicon, although unlike silicon, it can actually be recut up and reheated and reused. I also reuse some of my actual plaster mix, plaster-silica mix uh, mould material, because one of the, of the UK glass artists uh, did a study in um, in uh, mould mixes during the 1980s, learning from Czech masters, and it was it was found that we could reuse some of that material because once it's been fired, it makes different sized brain structures and that that can actually lead to the stability of molds. So I reuse some of that because as I say, it's, it's a plastic silica mix and silica when it's in its Powder form uh, can cause painful lung conditions similar to asbestos, so it's something that I'm not keen on putting back into the environment. I also fire my kiln only when it's full, so that I'm being really efficient rather than firing several times, and it reduces obviously wasting energy and obviously also saves me a bit of time and cost. It does actually limit the amount of work that I can produce, but I think it's I think it's necessary because it gives me further time to then think. Yeah. If I need to create a work, for example, and also allow my ideas to develop more, and then I can consider how to best use the materiality of glass, because although I'm, I am I am obviously a glass artist, so that is what I'm going to go towards. If, if I produce something that I don't think is going to be shown best in glass, then what's the point in making it?
1: Can you tell us a bit, how do you manage your time in a studio? You told me in our last conversation that you have a big studio, you have renovated a studio. How do you spend your days in a
0: studio? I'm not always in the studio, a lot of the time. Certainly if I'm uh, planning casting work, a lot of it will be spent on research. I'll do several drawings, mainly on the technical side of things, trying to work out how, how I'm going to produce a piece. So once all that planning is out the way, as I say, the actual glass process. So for example, um, like with uh, Glacial Melt, I modeled a polar bear first of all in clay and I I just used uh, a front image and a side image of a polar bear to do that, to try and make a 3D form from that, which was a challenge. And I, I I wanted to pose it so that it was looking isolated within its shrinking sea ice environment. Uh, to communicate its desperation and to evoke an emotional response from viewers that might see the piece. Uh, So once I got that modelled I then produced a silicone mould around the clay so that I could produce a wax version of the bear. This was partly because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to actually cast the bear first time since I've not done many actual sculptures with like legs and things where you where you're asking the glass to flow into yeah. harder areas, and also partly so that I could actually just melt the wax out from the mould, whereas you can't do that with clay. So then I basically took the clay out of the silicone mould, cleaned it, poured in some wax uh, by melting it. I then also sometimes like to manipulate the surface of the wax uh, using a uh, heat burner or a torch, because this will give like a shiny surface and that will often be Seen in the glass because the detail will be picked up by the mold mix, uh, and sometimes I also like to create drips within things, which is something I thought about to represent the melting. In that, I then created a investment mold uh, using plaster silica mix around the piece, and then I steamed the wax out, and that's known as the lost wax process, which is one of the main processes that glass artists use now. Yeah, so then I clean the mold again. I calculated the volume uh, using water to fill up the space to work out how much glass i needed to use and then i had to dry the mold over several days using a heater when it is summertime, i do like to use the actual natural heat of the sun and be able to put put out the molds so that i'm not using excess electricity once it was dry i then filled it with glass and also sometimes you have to use a reservoir to flow the glass into the mold just so there's enough room. And I basically put it in the kiln, calculated a schedule based on some information that we've got from the glass manufacturers. The piece was in the kiln for about a week. I then demolded the piece uh, by just breaking up the plaster, as I say, and storing it later. And and in this case, although I'd added vents uh, for the air to escape so that the glass could fully flow into this sculpture. It wasn't quite enough so I actually ended up with parts missing from the legs and the excess glass that didn't flow into the actual uh, mould for the bear kind of formed like almost an ice sheet itself which I was going to represent separately uh, by cutting a uh, piece of white glass for. but I thought if anything uh, this kind of
1: so this this kind of let's say mistake yes. uh, it helped you because it created because I saw the piece so I know how it looks yeah. so it created the the glacier uh, melting and the, the ice sheet uh, without you having to you know merge another part and I think it worked perfectly it seems that because it's a complete piece and it's quite beautiful
0: yeah not only that but because because the sheet itself isn't like a full sheet you can see it's. Rest- receding and also part of the polar bear not being fully cast is also receding with the habitat so as I say because it it kind of just had a more a better statement about how the environment is having a direct impact impact on the species that live on it Uh, so yeah it's one of the very few occasions that a failed cast and the serendipitous nature of the situation has actually led to a better piece being created from it.
1: Also, we had an amazing opportunity to partner with sound artist Annabelle Galea, who created the sounds that you hear during the conversation. You're going to hear and listen to her work during this season, so go give her your love and support. I will leave the link in the description so you can find her. So can you tell us a bit about your artistic process in terms that how do you reach a final version of your piece? So from the first idea to the final piece, I presume you have a process in place or it is more of a natural thing or you have different processes that normally.
0: I have an idea. I, I, I make a note of things, certainly sketching things on my phone all the time. And then basically once I'm confident enough to create it, because as I say, my my processes are pretty pretty strict and limited as to how I will cast a piece. I do consider it for quite for quite some time as to what the best way of approaching that would be. Uh, so, for example, when I when I was making Glacial Melt, I was also I also made Trees Lungs of the Earth around the same time, and I was also working on two other pieces which I just had to abandon in the end because of the <laughs> just the technical. Uh, problems that I faced during that. I'm, I'm sure it will be possible, but um, I was using 3D printing for that, that means because it was something where I was unable to model something at such a small scale in the detail. So I thought, well, I'll make use of that technology, but then it requires a lot more extra steps such as making silicon molds and stuff. And it's the opposite sort of casting compared to the polar bear that I was doing. So it's actually casting a void within glass as I say, I'm I'm sure it's possible, and I might reattempt it sometime when I when I have more money to spend on it. But um, but yeah, I mean, no matter how experienced you are, you will always run into problems with things. But I, I tend to think that normally through planning, and that I can work these things out beforehand. It's always good to have extra, extra plans. Yeah. Uh, to try and adapt, <laughs> try and adapt for situations. But yeah, no, normally I'll I'll just think of something, make a note of it. I'll often redesign it several times or, or or then put it on a hold for a bit and then redraw the thing without without realising that I've already considered it, so to speak.
1: How long does it take you to finish a glass sculpture?
0: At least a month because, of course, you've got the, the moulding, like I say, well, the original modelling, the moulding, the length of time in the kiln, I know I mentioned annealing to you before, so a, a lot of the time uh, when I make a kill schedule, the initial part of the casting process is burning off any moisture that was left in the mould, which needs to be done slow so that the mould doesn't split or explode. <laughs> um, and then and after that stage, uh, we can ramp it up quite high to the point where, where once the mould is hot enough and the glass is hot enough, the glass will flow. But it's, it's unlike anything, it's unlike a liquid or, or a solid in a way, it's, it's a lot more, a lot slower running. Once that's melted in fully, the real amount of kiln work or time in the kiln is uh, put into action. As in, uh, in order to anneal the glass, uh, which is actually what prevents it from shattering, the outer skin of glass and the inner, and the inner temperature of the glass will be working at different rates. Takes time in the kiln, although at least our kilns are quite efficient in the fact that they're well insulated. So, a lot of the time, the kiln won't actually be on full power, it will just be coming on and going off when it needs to, sort of thing, just to keep
1: that's good. Yeah,
0: to maintain the temperature. So, then after that, and demolding, basically it's up to us whether we want to cold work the piece, which is essentially grinding and polishing it. Now, obviously. If Pieces like uh, Glacial Melt with the polar bear, it would be extremely hard for me to find tools even small enough to grind the whole of the surface. So this this is why I say when things are planned beforehand,
1: so yeah, that's, it's a very, it's a very long process. Do you have any methods because I know how it is to work on a piece for quite a long time. And for me, it's sometimes it's frustrating in terms that I just have to do something else. In terms that I just go to the studio, I look at my sculpture and okay, today yeah. is not the day to work here. I just, I just need to do something else. You have a method to help you deal with frustration or just clean your head to, so the project goes better.
0: Yeah, well when i'm casting certainly i try and work on it day in day out sort of thing you know do as much as i can to get the project done because as i say i i don't really have any idea how long it's going to take only only even at the point when i can weigh the glass do i know how how much glass is going into it and how much i need to anneal so i don't even know the kiln schedule at that point but yeah regarding casting I, i just try and get it all done day in day out but as i say um because of climate change and that and the amount of hot weather we've had recently it certainly limits uh, when i can work with clay for example just because of the heat it dries out too yeah. quick and yeah, it's, yeah. it's all about maintaining the right level of wetness or dampness within the clay so that has caused problems and there's been quite a few days when i it's just been too hot to work despite having some basic insulation in the shed it is still a it's still an old building which does get hot in the summer and absolutely freezing in the winter so there's rarely a time when i can actually work comfortably but yeah i i just have to i just think well if i can't make sometimes i'll spend a whole day designing something instead as i say there's there's loads of ideas that i've got and loads of work that i still yeah have to make so at least i can i can do that and as i say i've been trying to make some smaller pieces on the side that aren't they're not related to uh, the sculptures that I make but they are like flower related and things like that so it is still taking some inspiration from nature and trying to share that with people uh, so that I'm creating work of of a lesser price point so that things are still accessible to most people.
1: Okay so how do you feel about your practice so far? Do you feel fulfilled in terms of artistic methods, how you look at your practice, how do you feel about that?
0: I definitely, as I say, I still have more more to make, more that I want to make. Certainly more of my work now is, is being climate change based. So as I say, I, I had to give up those other, those other two works at the time sort of thing. But otherwise I would have liked to have made, made more. But you are always going to be limited by time constraints and stuff. I mean, I was quite fortunate during the pandemic that because of my studio being totally separate, Uh, to everyone that I could potentially go over there and do some work and as I say there's lots more subjects and that within climate change that I can make things on I mean I before the pandemic hit hit, I was actually considering doing work uh, based on biblical concepts you know such as Mm -hmm. uh, pandemics, swarming locusts, (laughs) flooding and droughts and Funnily enough, we've had it all this year, sort of thing, so, for yeah. um, well, the last couple of years. I'm not actually religious, but I do actually find the concept quite interesting.
1: So, in terms of exhibitions, you had an exhibition quite recently. Can you talk a bit about that?
0: Yeah, I showed some work at uh, Doddington Hall, which is a, um, it's a local Elizabethan hall which opens up its gardens, and, that, and I participated in it in 2020 as well. It's just a different place to exhibit really, rather than just exhibiting in a white gallery and that it's, it's, it opens it up, opens up my art to the general public more and people who wouldn't necessarily consider yeah. themselves art lovers. And it helps in the way that uh, the hall staff and that are actually participating in a uh, rewilding project to encourage nature and biodiversity within their grounds. So it, it just helps being linked places like that. And obviously you have the opportunity to meet other exhibiting artists there. Again, because my work is always visually different, it's it's very different to a lot of the works there where you see people working within the same sort of sculptures and that. Yeah. It it also exposes you to um, other art that I like, for example, kinetic art, which I, I have been considering doing for a few years now. It doesn't really lend itself to glass art as such because of the weight of things, but um, it's certainly something else that I would like to get involved in. So, yeah, it just it opens up my own practice and it opens it up to uh, members of the public more. If people will find my work beautiful and that, for example, they might or might take a closer look as to how something's created, it might just open it up and their thoughts more about, as I say, people's impact on the world And it might just help to change points of view.
1: Also, if you are an artist and want to be featured on the magazine, go to the page, submit your work on our website and see the required steps. We hope to see your work. So can you tell us a a bit about your piece called Fragility? So it talks about the fragility of nature and coral reefs. Can you tell us the process methodologies
0: yeah so again a bit of serendipity about this sort of piece Uh, unlike a lot of the others I didn't actually uh, craft it by hand myself it was a result of a process whereby wax had been melted out from another project and it had formed a structure similar to those made in nature in stalagmites where calcium carbonate drips in in water eventually build up to form i don't know stacked sort of triangular forms so as i say it it was like this anyway uh, just by chance and uh, the form actually reminded me of uh, a reef structure with hydrothermal vents that are are deep in the ocean like i've seen on nature documentaries which is another of my loves so i had to add sprues and vents to this then formed a uh, mold around it melted out the wax as usual doing lots of wax process clean the mold making sure there was no wax in it that would prevent any gas flowing in or or burn out i then researched the colors of the reefs and i ordered in powdered glass that i then mixed with finely crushed transparent glass so that i was able to actually broaden the amount of colors available to me creating uh, different tints and different saturations of color i then packed this in bit by bit having to work from the top of the mold first because the the pieces upside down in the mould. So I packed this in to create a form that was similar to those, as I say, uh, researched in nature. Yep. Um, I, I actually did a, a glue mix as well to keep all these granules together because it's, it's um, using a technique called pat de beurre, which essentially translates to paste glass, except in a more modern term, which makes it less of a paste so yeah because it's it's like using granules of sugar so to speak so they're very very sharp and very fragile so after i after i fired it i carefully demolded it using basically a toothbrush and water just to make sure i didn't knock any pieces off and it actually i managed to preserve a really sharp detailed edge on the piece that you'll you'll be able to see from the actual images which is obviously fragile hence hence the nature of, of the uh, title and that representing the reef itself and then i chose to uh, display it on a acrylic platform so that you could see this edge and as i say it it, rese- it resembles like sugar like particles that are stuck together in a multitude of colors and it reminds me as well because i went uh, snorkeling in egypt uh, where I, I gained an appreciation for like the colorful species of coral and fish there despite having phobia of fish you know you can still you can still <laughs> appreciate uh, nature and that as i say and, and all the coral and polyps uh, that inhabit the reefs so unlike other works that i've seen that represents just the bleached nature of coral uh, this one basically gives a, a macro view uh, overall view of the reef when it's healthy and full of diverse animals and plants yeah. and therefore it shows what we have to lose from the results of rising sea temperatures and pollution.
1: Yeah. Have you ever thought about creating large-scale sculptures, or do you prefer to stay in a you know medium-sized, small? Uh, um. I have. Dimensions?
0: I have produced two large sculptures, which were for my degree project. Uh, anthropomorphized waves, which was based on um, mythology in part, and using figurative bodies to to represent uh, the waves. That other cultures might have come up with, sort of thing, uh, mythology-wise, uh, and they were about fifty-five centimeters square by twenty centimeters deep, and that's what's considered a largest sculpture in the UK, anyway. I mean, there are there are other people who work on larger scales, but it was a lot of expense, a lot of complications, and a lot a lot more time. I think each one of those, uh, bearing in mind, I made two pieces, were um, two weeks in total in the kiln alone, let alone yeah. all the making oh. involved. Oh. And and they were oh, exact God, op- we Yeah, they were exact opposites of each other as well. So one of them using voids and one of them using like positive cast figures. And although I would I would like to create larger sculptures like that again, obviously it pushes the expense up more for me as a whole in making the pieces in getting them crated and packaging and delivery and all that sort of thing, let alone yeah. trying to find someone to buy them. So yeah. that's a bit off-putting for me at the moment, especially since I still have the sculptures. Uh, I am actually pleased that I still made them because making bigger is surprisingly harder <laughs> with, uh, with the problems <laughs> that you encounter. <laughs> but I think I think you can say as much with smaller, smaller sculptures as, yeah. as you can with bigger in so many senses.
1: Yeah. So what is the importance of art as a tool to raise awareness of social and ecological problems?
0: I would say that making, making artwork uh, shows the issues that people don't always see locally. I mean, global warming is a global issue. Climate change is a global issue, you know, and highlighting these issues through my work makes it accessible for everyone to see. You know, I I think it's all too easy to not think about the consequences of each of our daily activities when we're not confronted with the results visually. I mean, this year's a bit different because we have all had droughts and we have all had... Then flooding, well, not all of us. Some of us have just had droughts, but it's it's becoming increasingly awesome. increasingly common of having of having these issues now, which certainly helps raise awareness. But as well yeah. um, as I say, as as we've discussed before, there's issues going on around the world, including the wars and countries that face these things a lot more commonly than we do. So yeah. As I say, it just helps raise awareness and hopefully will make people think more about their actions and hopefully bring about change for the better. I mean, people have been talking about making change for the future generations, but changes are happening now. Uh, and, you know, sometimes all it needs is to make people take notice out of their day-to-day or work lives and that sort of thing through exhibitions and, and, and galleries and only by addressing these can we really have any hope for the future.
1: Yeah, it's true. So, what is the most important lesson you have learned over your career?
0: I would say, career in the sense of all work, would be to uh, find some find something that makes you happy, uh, whether you're doing it as a job or as a hobby. I mean, as I've discussed, I'm 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 actually looking for work at the moment, but uh, trying to pick jobs where I can actually make a difference, you know, working for wildlife conservation, for example, you know, you have to choose something that you're passionate about uh, because so much of your life is dedicated to work and that anyway, Yeah. that uh, it helps if you can get involved in things. I mean, I've been involved in things just, just in civil service work, introducing sustainability into businesses in the past. And it's something that gives me joy doing that. And also, you know, as I say, makes you feel like you are making a difference.
1: So there are three things you'd recommend an artist to do for themselves in their careers and why?
0: Um, I would say network with other artists. Take advantage of new opportunities even if it pushes you outside of your comfort zone and extend your knowledge where possible because all these things might lead to new opportunities, uh, new ways of looking at things and creating new works.
1: Thank you, thank you. I really appreciate uh, you being here. It was a wonderful conversation. Very technical, but I really wanted to, <laughs> to know about glass work. Yeah, the opportunity. I only met one one glass artist in my life. Uh, you so with you two, so I think people are a bit curious about glass work and how it works because there is not yeah. a lot of artists actually working working with glass. So thank you, thank you for being here. Yeah,
0: certainly, it's not normally something as accessible as like ceramics is. Yeah. But hopefully we can change that a bit more.
1: Thanks for listening to the show. This was a wonderful conversation. I hope you got as much as I did from it. So we are at Instagram at insideofanecoartist. Go have a look. You can reach me directly if you want. Send me a message. I'm totally open to that. You can also make a sustainable donation to the show by visiting our page at patreoncom Artist. We have different tiers from you to choose from. Also, a good way to support us is by reviewing the show. So thank you.